0: For the SBS studios in Ataman, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from. I pay my respects to the Kamaragal people of the Guringai Nation and their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Hi, I'm Suraj Kolokha. I immigrated to Australia as a child and I always find myself fascinated by immigrant stories. So on this podcast, I'm bringing you the stories of immigrants reliving their first year in Australia. Everything they felt from hope, fear, alienation and ultimately triumph. Last week I was joined by Ali Bahanesewi whose career in media led him from Egypt to a variety of countries. But ultimately Australia ticked all the boxes. My guest today is Helen Ashley from PNG. Helen spent her early years raised by her close knit extended family. She then reunited with her mother and moved to a new world and a new life in Australia. Very good. Yes. So I'd love to start with uh, with your childhood. Let's go all okay. the way back.
1: Okay. So born and raised in PNG. Yeah. g um, in 1991 on the 27th of December, um, I was born. And Two days I,
0: after Christmas. Yes. Very
1: good. <laughs> and um, I was born into um, a family that were Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom... Was in a domestic relationship, like a domestic violence. So she basically was a single mom. Ah, sorry um, to hear
0: that.
1: No, it's fine. So we kind of grew up with our grandmother's kind of family, uh, my mom's, mom's family. And so it was, we were basically raised with our mom and then our aunties and uncles. Yeah. And awesome. it was just a family that was based around going to church and just being around community. And we were very, um, we weren't poor, but we were below the the threshold of, um, what's the word?
0: You're thinking like lower middle class. Lower middle class, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then
1: we lived in a notorious neighborhood. That wasn't always our life, but because our, my granddad died and he was in the army. right? Um, so when he died, we kind of lost all those kind of things that come with being in an army family. Right. And so we had to struggle. And then there was kind of cultural things um, in the sense that because... My uncles didn't get passed on the right things from the cultural side. His family disowned us, so then... We couldn't ha- we didn't really have necessarily a family support so my mom became the head of the family and had to support everything so we went from living a very good life to yep. just being like kind of poor and in a very notorious neighborhood and it was really unsafe and education was hard and it, it was tough yeah
0: wow now you've said 10 interesting things <laughs> there and I want to you know yeah. unpack some of them yes. so um, the the shift in circumstances happened yeah. when your grandfather passed away. Yeah. How old were you uh, roughly when that uh, happened?
1: Three years old. Three years old. Okay, okay, right. So if I take you right back. So when I was born, mom was still with dad, but it was like on and off. She was at a stage where she was trying to leave him. But in a domestic violence relationship, we all know it's always hard to leave. When she got with my dad and had my older sister, it was out of being rebellious towards her parents.
0: Right, right. So
1: they disowned her. So then she ended up living with my dad and they kind of lived in um, like the settlements, which is like where the poor, poor people lived. Right, And so she was like a straight A student kind of doing really well and then just really didn't like how her parents kind of what she felt they were just using. Every time she had good... Um, accolades and stuff like that they would just use it and be like you know it's because of us and so she just turned rebellious she right. regrets that but by having a child it was just her way of saying in your face kind of a thing
0: right um, and that's when they disowned her, her right. and they
1: basically said look we can adopt my sister and yeah. you can continue your education and all that and she was just like nah I'm gonna look after my child so she chose the hard life right um, so that she could keep her kids but from there that's when the domestic violence happened and all that and and then she basically eventually left him and then we lived with our grandparents and that's when he was in the army and all that. And then when I was, an age, when I was in yeah, age three, he died and that's when it was just a totally different story. And I think that's when I can kind of have memories. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I was little, I can't remember the settlement or what happened with my mom and dad. Like, I don't know what happened there. Oh, but uh, as yeah. soon as um, my granddad died, life just changed. And I think that's the memories I have is... Of being with my grandparents because she did return when he was alive Hmm. and so we did have some of those you know kind of memories where like for example my favorite thing is scotch fingers and that's because my granddad always got us scotch fingers um and you know he had an army car and so when i see army cars it's like oh you know (laughs) so we had really good memories of our granddad and when he was alive and then when he passed it was like bam
0: that support system of, of family, yeah. is that something uh, that's uh, part of the, the cultural fabric in PNG?
1: Definitely. So, what happens in PNG is basically your grandparents raise you up, right. and your parents go out and kind of get employed and live their life, and they become the providers.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, my memories of my childhood will always be with my grandmother and my aunties and uncles um, and not my mum because she is her responsibility is to go out and provide for the whole family. And when I say whole family, it's not just her kids. It's my aunties, my uncles, their children and my grandmother right. and anyone else who comes and visits. That's her job. So everyone who works, that's their job. So growing up, it was just like my grandmother was like my mum. So learning all those things about cooking and how to get ready and just... Like cleaning, that's like, if I have to recall, like, I'm like, that was my grandmother, wasn't my mom. But my mom taught me look, hard work, education, all those life skills about how to get yourself advanced in your career that's her and then when it comes to the maternal tough love kind of like you know that kind of thing it's like we don't have that so we've only now kind of had that relationship just because we don't have that family support in australia
0: yeah yeah yeah, because of the shift in dynamic
1: exactly was
0: it difficult in childhood that your mom was away working while um you know uh, like she wasn't there necessarily all the time
1: look when we were in png Mm -hmm. no Okay. because I think I didn't know any better because yeah. that's what happened in PNG yeah so um, weekends that's when I see my mom um, in the morning that's when I see my mom when right. she comes home that's when I see my mom so I didn't think of it any differently right um, when I felt her absent was when she got a scholarship to go to Australia and study. That's where the absence was because that was like two years without seeing your mom.
0: Wow. And how old were you then?
1: Um, Sorry, this gets me emotional.
0: No, that's okay. Take Um, your
1: time. At that time, um, I was in prep. Um, So I think I was around six Mm. years old. Um, And so that was two years, you know, she got a scholarship. We knew and like she sat with the family and told us, that, look, I got this scholarship, and in order for me to better our lives, not just me and my sister, but everyone else, um, she needed to go, go away and study. And so the whole family, including my grandmother, her sisters and brothers, we all said, we gave the blessing. And she said, look, I'll still come back, I'll visit. So she went over to Australia, and then to Townsville, JCU, to study. And when she went, basically... We didn't have phones at that time. Right. So the only way she could communicate with us was through um, letters and yeah. emails. Uh, not email. Sorry. Um, through mail. Right. And then she would send us gifts. But at that time, when you send th- things through post, mm. um, sometimes people steal.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so we never got it. And then sometimes, like our aunties and uncles, because we were, you know, below <laughs> below average poor, they would get the things and sell it. Right. So we went in communication with our mum for two years and that was hard because she told us i'd come back yeah and we went in communication and and, you know occasionally like it felt like like from my memory it was like maybe three or four times like our aunties and uncles would be like your mom communicated with you or here's a gift and the one gift I can remember was she got me at that time, there was like this show called high five Hmm. and I loved high five. So she got me this like crop top and this little tights, and I'd wear it everywhere. And this (laughs) doll and the doll could do headstands. And that was the only memory.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: Because we went in communication and me and my sister would always be like, oh, mum's coming, you know, and sometimes you, you're a little kid, you know, you pack your bags and yeah. you, you're just thinking, oh, yeah, she's going to come. And then, you know, our aunties and uncles, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they'd just be like, she's not coming. Like, why are you thinking like that? Mm. And you know, um, because like in our culture, comedy is part of it. So you know, you do tease people and stuff. Right. Um, so you know, they you make fun of people's looks and stuff, and that's just a way to bring tough, You know, make you tough. You mm. know, um, but those things really got to us. You know, because yeah. we just thought, Maybe she isn't coming.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's so rough. I have have some water. That's okay. Yeah. Take
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: And um, after the two years, uh, reuniting with mum, what was that like?
1: So eventually she did rock up and then when she rocked up, it was like, wow, this is mum. But there was no connection. Oh, wow. Yeah, because like we knew she was mum.
0: Yeah, because six through eight is such a developmental time.
1: And, you know, like when you came back from school, whether you were bullied or whatever, The people that you went and, you know, were comforted by was your aunties and your uncles. So they became a home. Yeah. So she rocks up and, you know, like you're hugging her and, you know, that's your mum, but there's no connection. So I remember her taking us to get our passports and all our photos and, you know, we were having all these good memories, Mm. but there was no connection at all. There was just nothing. And even then you were just thinking maybe we won't be going you know even though the passport was happening you know you just needed that reassurance that you were going and I didn't believe that we were going until we got on the plane yeah because then I just thought like it's too good to be true yeah yeah and um yeah so I just remember like we'd come home and um like after school and she'd be there and you'd be like, yay, mum is here. Mm. And yet the first people you want to share your stories were with with your aunties and you could have those deep conversations. And, you know, they were the ones that plaited your hair and, you know, like made you lunch and you could joke with them because you knew them, you know? yeah and you had your all your nicknames and your inside jokes and i think for her as well she felt like an outsider because yeah. she couldn't fit with us you know right and i remember one night um because we were in a notorious neighborhood mm. um we're used to gunshots you know um wow yeah and that's just normal for us you know right. like you, you knew from a young age when there was gunshots you dropped to the ground like that's just it, you just you just knew what wow. to do so I think it was a Saturday night and at that time we watched um, Xena and then Hercules was next. Mm-hmm. So I think one of them was on and then the gunshots go off and, you know, instinct, everyone just drops to the ground. Mm. And she was standing up saying, what, what, what's going on? And we were all like, drop to the ground, right. you know, and it, it got to a stage where my uncle, um, Emacs, just grabbed her and pulled her to the ground mm. and said, and then after that scolded her because he was like in in PNG, when the guns go off, we drop down. You could have got killed. Yeah. And it was just a moment of just realizing this woman, like, isn't – she just doesn't know the lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Like, she's she's just she's, – she was different, you know? And she was asking questions. Who was shooting? Who was – and we're like, why are you asking? Yeah. You should be lucky that we didn't, <laughs> they didn't come to us, you yeah. know? Like, so she thought differently right. and we thought – PNG way, you know, um, poor people way, you know, like we just, that that was our mentality. Yeah. yeah. And it was first. just survival. Yeah. Who yeah. cares what's happening out there? Yeah. We yeah. lived. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Then it must have been difficult as uh, leaving that community because all your aunties were there. So mm. leaving them must have been really difficult as well, right?
1: Yeah. I think it's really because we went with, uh, when we got on the plane and came to Australia.
0: This was when you were about eight or nine? Eight, yeah,
1: yeah, so 1999. So we got on the plane and we were with this young girl who, she came from a rich family and she's been to Australia so she had this different attitude like for her, like for us it's was like, it's a plane, <laughs> like we're like, whoa, we're going to Australia and she was kind of looking at us like you guys are weird and we're like, whatever and so when When we landed and then we got off the plane it was just so weird to see a sea full of white people yeah, <laughs> and we were the only black ones. Yeah. And we were like, cause we landed in cans and I just remember her like, like all of a sudden my mom became my mom because that was the only person I knew, you know, and my sister, you know, like we had to bond at that time because there was no grandmother, there was no aunties, there was no uncles, you know, like we, we had each other now. And so it was just weird just looking at white people and just thinking, Oh, <laughs> Oh my God, (laughs) because you're so used to just seeing black people Um, because PNG, it's just black people. Um, And then occasionally there's white people that come. But yeah, it was just such a weird feeling. And that bonded us together from that moment on because that's when it was like your mum.
0: Yeah, that's when you're going, we just have each other here right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then you landed in Cairns. Um, Cairns. You, uh, your mum. And my sister. Your sister. Yes. Take me through that first day. What was that like?
1: Um... I think all I could remember was one thing I have to say is I didn't know how to speak English. I could only understand English. So I was like, probably I was very talkative when I was little. So probably all I was saying was just like speaking pigeon and telling my mom this and that. And mom's like, we got to get on a train. So we got on a train and she's just like, it's going to be a long ride. But I think me and my sister were just looking out and we just realized we're not home. Right. You know, like you're used to PNG and you know you're in Australia, but you knew this was different. Yeah. And I remember we got to the place um, in Townsville and we lived in um, like Nathan Street, um, Stockland, that kind of area we got there and we knew that mom had a new partner and it was a white guy right so we had to go in and then there's this new guy and we're like what do we call him you know <laughs> like you know we don't really call anyone dad you know yeah. but she was just like just call him robert because yeah. that was his name um so we met this new guy and all of a sudden you know like we know that's home but it doesn't feel like home of because course we don't know this white guy. We only know <laughs> our mom and we only feel comfortable when mom's around. And then she yeah. shows us to the bedroom and you know, in PNG you have like three bedrooms and then you like all the aunties and us and our grandmother slept slept in one. Yeah. Then our uncle slept in another one. And then mom and mom would sleep in another one. So like you're so used to everyone sleeping in tight confined yeah. places. And all of a sudden me and my sister have two beds to ourselves. Um, and it was just like this gigantic place and everything that we ever prayed about and wished for we had, and yet we were so homesick. We didn't have our family. We didn't have community. There was nothing familiar about it. And, you know, and like, that's the price mom paid, you know, to come to Australia, Mm. get a good education so that we could have all this materialistic stuff. But at that time. And my sister struggled to go to sleep. And I just remember looking out to the skies and thinking I would give anything to go back home.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's so powerful because as you're saying, um, the... What you might not have had in in material things, mm. it, when everyone is in uh, one or two rooms yes. and in that confined space, yes. it's confined but it's intimate.
1: It's intimate. And everyone yes. is
0: together. Yes. and suddenly you have this whole bed, this whole room to room, yourself.
1: Like tons of food. Like yeah. we, I remember like the first time because um, our stepdad, when he saw me, he told my mom she looks malnourished because I was like really skinny but right. my people from PNG we're just naturally skinny yeah. and then plus we were poor so of course mm-hmm. you know so he was like we need to feed this girl five chickens every day <laughs> so I remember eating five chickens and like first it was like yeah because like I love chicken Yeah, but after you know a few weeks <laughs> of five chicken a day I'm just like I can't eat any and like we'd get in trouble because like they would be like you gotta eat all that chicken and I'd just go to the third one and be like I can't like I'm <laughs> literally trying to vomit here and they're like well tomorrow you're gonna eat those two chickens they so, like it was great but it got to a point where i was like no nah, i can't eat any more chicken <laughs> like it was yeah so like he, they, he really tried to fatten me up because he was just like she does not look normal <laughs> like she looks malnourished yeah yeah but and eventually i put on weight and i looked yeah. you know like healthy but yeah. yeah i was very malnourished in those days but for me that was normal like, yeah. I, I always thought i was a normal kid but apparently not yeah and
0: you got a lot of protein
1: I got a lot of protein, like there was tons of food, like there was endless amounts of food, like if we were like, oh, we're hungry, oh, here we go, here's some food, and I was yeah. like, oh, smack, like in PNG, it probably was like maybe two meals a day, Yeah. and even then it spread around everyone, so you got to give it according to the portion, like if, yeah. if there's work people and our uncles, we made sure that they had more food, right. and then the kids would have a certain amount, and then my grandmother and all that, so we portioned it based on what your role was, and right. what... What you had to do yeah, yeah and stuff yeah. like that yeah so.
0: so such a such a difference in, yes, in the way of living
1: definitely and like a joke that i have which i don't think people find funny but like in australia like in the western world like tuna is such a healthy thing like or like we're all raving about healthy eating and like in png this were poor people food like if you ate tuna which was my family <laughs> f- six days a week you were poor and then like so you come here and like when my grandmother came And she was like watching people eat tuna She's like why are they eating that when you can eat chicken (laughs) And I was like no they're trying to be healthy And then she's like but why would you want to do that (laughs) And then like people trying to be skinny In PNG it's like you're sick You're poor Like because we know that So they want people to be like Fattened up and looking good and all like if you if you're big it's like you're healthy you yeah. come from a rich family if you're skinny so they come here they don't understand they're like why are they starving themselves because yeah. in PNG it wasn't an option you were just <laughs> poor that's why you're skinny and then if you were big it's you're wealthy basically yeah. so the contrast it's lovely when we bring our family down to Australia and then they just kind of make fun of people like <laughs> obviously in Pigeon, because they're just like why are they doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Here we have the luxury to diet, I Yes, guess, right? it
1: is. It's a, it's a luxury. And like yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, I just gotta lose, you know, five five kgs. You know, I just lose five kgs. <laughs> and I start eating, and I'm thinking, you know what, Helen? You just go back to png and you'll lose that weight because it's not an option. <laughs> like it really isn't an option, you know, like you just pour.
0: <laughs> in those first uh, you know, couple of years in Australia, yeah. school potentially.
1: Yes. So we had a car and it didn't have aircon. So right. like people be like you have a car that doesn't have an aircon and for us we're like we have a car, yeah. you know? <laughs> um And then going to school, didn't know how to speak English. So Mm. I was all in the ESL, so second language um, speakers classes. And like, I just realized, like, I don't know what it was, but I had, I think I have a lazy tongue. So like, they would try to teach me all these words. Like, for example, like the number three, you know, Mm. you have to go three and I'd just be like tree. You right. know, like I'm just, you know, they'd be like, they'd really help me with my annunciation because I just think I had a really lazy tongue. So I remember the first day we went to school, it was a bit scary, but I was like, kids, you know, yeah. like, you know, you want to talk to people and I couldn't communicate with them because I spoke in Pidgin and like I must have been some weird kid because I legit spoke to this white kids (laughs) like they understood me and like it was so nice because I remember this Asian um, guy and his name was Eddie and he was so nice because he took me around and he would try to understand what I was saying like, what do you want? And he was so good and maybe because his parents couldn't speak English, he knew how to like communicate with me and he just showed me stuff and he was like one of the closest friends in primary school was this eddie guy that just showed me around and just helped me communicate with people and like i was like i must have been really confident because i remember in class like i could understand english so the teacher would ask a question i put my hands up and in pigeon and like <laughs> at that time the teacher was mrs norman and mrs norman would be like yes <laughs> and just ask another person and i'd be like sitting there thinking why? Like I said that answer. Sorry, I said that answer. Why did she ask that? Like I couldn't comprehend what was going on. So I'd go home and then tell my mom, like, oh, you know, I told the teacher this answer, and she ended up like asking this other girl. So I would like be so angry at my classmates, thinking like, what's the difference here? Not knowing that there was a real communication barrier, and my mom was trying to explain, they don't understand you. Like you're speaking a different language. And any event. Eventually, like I learned English and I could speak English and read and write because I couldn't read as well. So I was reading and all that. But yeah, those first days, like when I look back, I just think, child, like what were you thinking? Like, you know? My mom, like when we go through Maccas and all that, she, ha- she won't order because she's just like, <laughs> they don't understand me. And so my little brother or me, we have to order because yeah. she just, she can't speak. Like, I don't know. She just has a phobia because she's just like, they don't understand. And we're we'll like, oh, just give it a go. And every time she gives it a go, it just does not work. Wow, They can't understand. And this lady's, I think we've been in Australia for like almost like close to 20 years. Yeah, And still, yeah. So she has like a bit of a phobia ordering. There you go. Through drive drive-through.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is she in Townsville as well?
1: She is. So, mom, my sisters, and then um, my mom had kids to my stepdad. Right. So, um, there's three boys as well. Okay. Yes. And yeah. how
0: uh, do you get along with them?
1: Pretty well, but it's like... So, mom, sometimes as parents do, they compare.
0: Yeah. So she was like, you
1: know, your sisters, you know, they never used to have three meals a day. They didn't have good education, and look where they are. And what's your excuse? And I'm like, their excuses—they lived in Australia. <laughs> like, they don't know what it's like to live in PNG. Like, yeah. they—you can't compare. I, I always tell my mom, you can't compare. Like, our motivation to better ourselves and go after our dreams will be so different to someone who's been raised up in Australia who kind of didn't go through the struggles, you know? So my little brothers, they, they did live a very comfortable life, but in, they missed out on the family support. They yeah. missed out on community. They missed on culture. Yeah. You know, whereas me and my sister got that. So we like in a way, while I think everyone goes through finding themselves, we know who we are to some extent because mm. we just look back to our childhood. We look to our grandparents and you always have that sense of who you are. You know who you are. Whereas my little brothers, I think they have a really hard time because they're also white as well. Yeah. So they're always in between and they struggle with so many things where me and my mom and my sister kind of think, What? Because <laughs> it's just different lifestyles and different journeys. It's it's really hard sometimes to kind of relate to their struggles and what they're going through and tr- not trying to make it little yes because it's still the same yeah and not trying to be like well just get off your backside and do it (laughs) like you didn't you didn't have it as hard as we did because their their life and what bothers them is just as important as what we went through but it's totally different like we just can't relate to each other yeah no (laughs) what
0: you're saying uh i relate to so much because Uh, instinctively you want to say oh but you know compare it to this or that adversity I went to through or my my parents went through Mm. but for someone that is in this particular like spectrum of adversity something will be that stressful yes and you have to understand that okay even though it isn't you know life or death Mm. um, to them that is a a stressful moment
1: exactly and I think even for like even just my sister and me, our own troubles and our journey is so different from mom's yep. um, and even her mum. you know, um, just because like mom is all about education, um, finance, like the materialistic stuff like that's mum. And then come to me and my sister. Yes, we went through I, I call it the immigrant story where you have to get a be top of the class, then go to university and get a job and just stick with that job. And as long as you got money, that's fine, you know? And to go away from that path is like disappointment because your parents are kind of like, well, for me, my mum's kind of like, but I sacrificed all of this. I sacrificed my family, my life for you to be here. Um, So it's really hard for me because, you know, I did the whole top of the class, um, go to uni, became a lawyer and then realised law wasn't for me and then had to have that difficult conversation with mum that I don't want to do law, you know, and it wasn't until because I hit depression and mum was like, I've never seen you this low, so you need to do something else. And then I did, I, you know, I, you know, quit the job and then just took three months of doing nothing and for her to be just cool with it and just be like, okay, I know she was struggling and just to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to be there for you because usually like I'd go to my grandmother or something to give me support and all of a sudden she had to be mum and she had to care for me and be like, okay, how are you? How are you feeling? I'm um, doing all these things for me and then eventually I found my way and was like, oh, I want to do this and she was like, How are you going to get paid? Because I was just like, I want to be a youth worker. You know, I want to go work for the church. And she was like, There's only voluntary roles. Like, you don't get paid. And I was like, There's a way. There's a way. And eventually I got a job and then I got paid. I started up as a part time. And she was just like, You were a lawyer and now you're working part time. You're living with me and you're 28 years old. Jesus. (laughs) Like, you know, and I was like, It's going to work out. It's going to work out. And eventually I got full time. And then she was like, Oh, it paid off. And then, um, you know, moved out and all that. And she's like, like, yay, I'm so proud of you. And then just recently I sat with her and I was like, I don't like my job anymore. And she's like, oh, God, what what is it now? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I want to be an actor. And she's just like, oh, God, do whatever you have to do. Like At this stage she's just like, you know what, it's all right, just go for it, whatever. Round two. Yes. (laughs) I think there was a pressure as well because I was the first ever person in my family to become a lawyer. Right. And, you know, it was a big moment to graduate from law, but then um, you get admitted to the courts and they put your name down. And so Melora Reckerev was written down as, you know, one of the officers of law. And it was such a big moment. And you feel that pressure hmm. where, like, like, yes, they're proud of you, but it's like... Now you've got to continue it. And yeah. all of a sudden you're just like, but it's not for me. Like, I'm mm. just not cut out for this job, you know. And I'm just going to say it. I think I'm a, I've been a very selfish person. So I've done things just because I wanted to do it. I never thought of you're paving the way for other people who look like you. And it wasn't until I got my current job where I'm working in, um, with the Catholic Diocese and um, of Townsville and being with the bishop that all of a sudden it's like you're a woman but you're also black. And all of a sudden it's, I don't want to say it's privilege, but there's a ticket where they're using you as well to be like, we support diversity because yeah. you're the only black person we've employed <laughs> yeah. who's a woman as well. So um, in a way I think it's become kind of like a mission of mine where if I get to a place that I bring other women, but also women that are like me to be like, we can do this. Because I never knew that, because I think it's just the way we grew up and just me, like if I want something, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to let anything stop me. But then I realized that other people just talking to other people and, you know, you mingle with, you know, older people or women with kids and stuff. And they're just saying, wow, you inspire me. And I'm thinking what? And it just kind of hit me that, oh, smack, like you represent something, you know, with that, where a dream that so many people don't get to have that opportunity to dream but also to look back at like, you know, um, where I grew up in PNG and and the story is that you get up to – because we have to pay for our education and stuff. So most people can only afford um, education for their kids up to grade six and then the story is that after that you get married off. Wow. So a lot of my childhood friends, they became mothers and, you know, they, we all had dreams and, but I was the fortunate one to come this far and live this life. So I always think, you know, times when I'm feeling a bit like, oh, my life sucks or, <laughs> you, know, you know, and all that. I think of all those people who didn't get that opportunity. So I kind of think, no, I got to strive. I got to keep going because I'm very blessed and very privileged to be living this life to wake up every day and have that determination where I'm like I want to do this and I can do it because I don't have limiting factors you know so yeah it's a interesting one
0: <laughs> yeah that's beautiful uh, what that gets me thinking about is yeah. um, so you know PNG is is home and you know it's it's in your mm. heart at what point did Australia start to feel like uh, a second home and home as well
1: It's really interesting because I remember having this conversation with one of my friends um, in high school, and she was a Zimbabwean, an immigrant as well. Mm. And she was telling me, you know, when I have my dreams, I dream of my home in Zimbabwe. And I thought, hey, when I dream, I dream of PNG. Like, you know, I don't dream of my Australian home. And I think it wasn't till maybe uh, uni days that I started to kind of, well, I rebelled as well, like my (laughs) mum. But in that, I found my own identity and I found my own groups and I started to feel a sense of belonging um, by finding myself. And then that's when Australia became home. But I think in high school and primary school, never felt like home. Um, and mum would always be like this is home you know and don't talk about PNG and you know we, could, we couldn't speak pidgin and all that and for me like I always thought I love my culture and I'm so proud to be PNG you know like Australia gave me opportunities and made my dreams come true but that will always be home but yeah Australia didn't become home Till I had the freedom to make choices for myself and find myself and what I like and what makes Helen who she is and all that. And I think I got to appreciate the materialistic stuff for myself and not because, as immigrants and maybe just PNG parents, um, they're very, um, they tell you what to do and it's their way and their way only. So when I started thinking for myself, that's when Australia became home.
0: So you mentioned uh, your mother uh, not uh, wanting. To have pigeon spoken mm. in Australia um, and bringing that culture over, she was she was a bit against that. Yeah. What was that like, and why do you think that was the case?
1: Um, well, it started off with one. I couldn't speak English, so the I don't know what happened in the education system in Australia at that time, but um, they encouraged me not to speak pigeon. So mum just thought, look, when you're at home, don't speak it, because she really wanted me to learn English, because she was like, that's the language that's spoken by everyone. It's gonna get you places. Um, so that's why we didn't speak it. But as 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 we moved on, what happened is, you know, a lot of people travel to PNG because of Kokoda and all that. So well, you have a lot of um, white people come up and say, are you from PNG? And for them, it's a joyful memory um, because people just love PNG and the culture and the people. So they always just want to talk to us. And for me and my sister, we're like, yeah, we're PNG. But for mum, it was just like, stop talking to me. I don't want to talk about it. Um And I guess for her, it's because PNG brought up a lot of challenges, you know, she was in a domestic violence relationship, she rebelled, she gave up her education, she had kids at a young age, and all of a sudden, these dreams that she had got all put on hold, and she took on the burden of, you know, looking after kids, but also the family and all those kind of stuff, and when she came to Australia, she had a clean slate, all of a sudden, she could, um, you know, have an education, she was, you know, top of her class, you know, she got a really good job, you know, um, as an accountant, you know, she worked for Coopers, which was one of the top, agents like accountant agencies um in the world i think um yeah and she moved up that level then she had a second chance to find love and have kids you know and so for her while she gave up her family and all that it was a second chance for her Mm -hmm. and she got to be who she wanted to be or who she thought she wanted to be and had all those opportunities and she got to give those opportunities to her kids um so for her i don't think if she, she knows this but for her i think she sees png in a negative light and it reminds her of all the negative things but for me and my sister PNG reminds us of who we are of the struggles, but also from those struggles. That, what, that's what drives us today. You know, we think of our grandmother, our aunties, our uncles, our family. We think of all the positives. So it's really funny that um, when I worked for the Catholic, I'm still working for the Catholic Church, but um, they got me to write an article about my faith journey. And I remember writing it and I spoke about PNG and my mom and my grandmother being like the two leading people in my life who taught me about life, but also faith. And she read that article and called me and said, I I never saw it the way you saw it. And she just kind of said, thank you. And like, my mom doesn't never cries. And she just was so happy and was just like proper sad, <laughs> like, and like she was like crying on the phone and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> like, so it's, I think it's just different perspectives. And yeah. I think for her, it, it brings her a lot of pain and trouble. And then for me and my sister, it's a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. And um, we, we love it. We just love being PNG and we're so proud of it. And uh, I think the negative of not speaking pigeon and giving up that is, I find that when I got to my, you know, when I got to make decisions for myself, I found that I really wanted to speak pidgin, and I really wanted like I remember going away for this retreat, and there was this group of PNG mothers, and um, there was a white priest there, and he could speak pidgin, and somehow I couldn't speak pidgin because. Because being young and being told it was wrong, it just kind of created this thing in my head where I couldn't speak it. And I remember just hearing with his mothers and just, you know, being nurtured and just reminded me of my family back home. And I remember starting to speak it. And I just remembered the joy that came from speaking my language. And I just thought, I'm going to speak my language. And then I remember coming back and then my mum was like, oh, you got an accent. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you don't, you sound PNG. And I said, but what's wrong with that? Why, why can't I have an accent? Why can't I be proud to be PNG and just own it, you know? So I think it's rediscovering my culture again and telling myself it's okay you know like if my mum's on a different journey but um you know learning how to speak it and you know yes i pronounce words differently um but owning it and just being like but you know what that's one of my happiest memories is being in png and that's who i am yeah
0: that's uh, really really <laughs> wonderful yeah. uh, thank you so much for sharing those uh, stories with me and, yes. and for being on this podcast you're a wonderful guest
1: thank you so much <laughs>
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode. Next week, I'll be joined by Tala Amhaz, who spent her childhood in a war-torn Lebanon, narrowly escaping death. She moved to Dubai, then ultimately to Australia, where she has found peace, freedom, and equality. You can find more info at sbs.com.au slash year my First Year on Aussie Soil is an SBS original podcast. It's created and produced by me, Suraj Kolaka, and Danny Giles.